We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest and then the final event the behind the bangs writing workshop i finally did it put it together put together this workshop because i wrote this book in many ways for younger me and younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught i wanted the gyms i wanted i wanted the knowledge i wanted the education that's what i would have wanted so i've decided i'm doing it and in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn 15 years in my 15 year career as a tv writer and author and blah 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 all the other things i've written there are six things that i always use and all of those are in this workshop so if you have an interest in writing sign up all the ticket links are live today click the show notes click my instagram we are coming to a city near you and there's going to be some meet and greets i'll sign some copies of books we'll give out more books and i have uh, some pieces of merch that i'm taking on the road and i'm gonna give them out at the shows Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of female celebrities. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I'm a TV writer, comedian, filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. Now, this week we are book clubbing Sophia Amoruso's memoir titled Girl Boss. Now, if you don't know who Sophia is, she is quite literally the person who coined and copyrighted the term Girl Boss and turned it into the name of her company after her first company, Nasty Gal, which sold clothes, filed for bankruptcy. And we're going to get into all of that. But first, you should know this episode is not our normal Celebrity Book Club episode. We got pretty mad in this episode because I was super interested in doing this episode because we have a guest who is a bit of a financial expert and they wanted to do a book about a businesswoman. And so we chose Girl Boss uh, for many reasons, but one of them is because the term girl boss really grew beyond Sophia's um, purview. And it became this sort of tone that has influenced the past decade of feminism for us. And I was really curious to find out where girl bossing came from, what really happened with that company, particularly because it had such an influence on feminism, particularly white feminism. So I thought that would be super interesting. And it was super interesting, but we did get pretty upset because some bad stuff happened. And I do think, uh, just enjoy this episode for the laughs. Um, And I think it's really important to look back on our feminist movements and see like what went wrong and critique it and uplift the parts that did well because going forward, 
we got to this we got this movement's got to work, you know, and we can only do that by growing. And so we poked some fun at this book, but I think it's all in the name of like making us better going forward. So you're going to hear some deep dives and specific things as we get into Sophia's life, but a big overview of who she is. She is born in California. They move to Sacramento. Later, as a teenager adult, she relocates to San Francisco. As a child, she is diagnosed with ADHD and depression, and she drops out of high school to homeschool to sort of deal with these issues a little better. She ends up working a series of odd jobs, which will come up in the episode, until she finally decides she wants to be a freegan, uh, like dumpster diving freegan. And she's living this socialist lifestyle. She's hitchhiking. And then one day in a twist needs health insurance. And she gets a job that gets her health insurance. And while she's there, she has a lot of free time on the computer. And she starts an eBay store called Nasty Gal, which sells vintage clothing, which has a big crossover with that freegan lifestyle. But then the company becomes massively successful. In just six years, it becomes a billion-dollar company with zero debt, which is truly unheard of. And the company is successful. Sophia becomes famous. And she goes from having these intensely socialist values to becoming a capitalist. And not by way of me analyzing her and saying that. She herself becomes a vocal supporter of capitalism. And she talks about it in the book about how capitalism rules. So, and that is the society we live in. So very interesting. We're going to get into all of it. Mid-2016, a month after I'm on the cover of Forbes, one of America's richest self-made women on paper We didn't confirm numbers, but I was like, sure. And then six months later, we filed for chapter 11, ultimately because of the valuation on our heads. And there's all kinds of other reasons. I could have done such a better job. We just got like cock blocked from like, um, in, you know, lower valuations. And, and, um, so that, you know, that, I think that was a big part of it. But I think I also had no idea what I was doing and hired a lot of the wrong people and signed up for growth that I didn't understand and a whole like litany of other things that kind of led to that. Now, that was an interview with Sophia that is relevant to this episode. So let's dive into the world of Girlboss with our very special guest. They are a writer, actor, journalist, comedian, LGBTQ activist, and podcaster. And they ran the YouTube comedy show and podcast Just Between Us. And they host the very, very popular Bad With Money. It's Gabby Dunn. Hello. Thank you for having me to girl boss with you. I have to correct you though, because the title appears to be hashtag girl boss. How <laughs> dare you forget the hashtag? Wow. You, I, I think my brain was just like, I refuse this. <laughs> I refuse. I refuse a hashtag to be used in a non-digital form. And I just, I refuse this. You're right. It's hashtag girl boss. Integral part of the title. <laughs> That It really speaks volumes. Um, So before we dive in, I introduce all my guests on my podcast with the story of how we first met. Do you by any chance remember this story? Because I think I do. How we met? Yes, for the very first time. It's, don't worry, it was a long time ago. It's, I'm between two memories. We were at uh, a friend of ours, Tawny's New Year's party, eating pierogies at a table, I think, Yes. And and then we met again at a book launch party. A lot of girl bossing events. I'm really just listing girl bossing here. We lo- we met at a, a book launch for someone where we like um, 
dove really hard into like therapy for like 30 seconds. It was Aaron Gibson's book party. Yes. Okay. Well, everything you've just mentioned is so before times that my brain does not <laughs> <laughs> register. Yeah, that was BC. That that yeah. was uh, 2017 BC. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, Tawny's amazing. And yeah. that New Year's party, we, I would go, it was like New Year's Day. I don't remember this, maybe because I Amy Mann was also there and yeah, I true. was transfixed. And I was like, I, Amy Mann's here. Amy Mann is in this room. I, I don't know. Now I can't function because Amy Mann is here. Yeah, yeah. No, that, it was a lot. It was a lot. But that that's how we first actually met, though I feel like, um, yeah, it feels like a million years ago and I'm excited to get reacquainted. Oh, um, yeah. Well, we've been, we've been uh, Instagramming back and forth uh, about this book because I think I was driven crazy by it. I think I have lost my mind. <laughs> Let me ask you, what drew you to this book? We had options. We knew we mm -hmm. wanted to do something about business. What made mm -hmm. you pick Girl Boss? Um, well, my podcast is called Bad With Money, and it's about uh, finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. That's what I call it. I'm a trans non-binary person. So the opposite of the book. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm a trans non-binary person. I've been queer the whole time doing the show. I just came out uh, as the T and LGBT like a year ago. But so like, I've been, but I've been queer the whole time. And so the show yeah. has always been kind of like, hey, the money media yells at you and tells you you're poor and it's your own fault and everything. And I'm not going to do that. And we just did an episode with um, a wonderful journalist named Koa Beck, where we talked about girl boss feminism. And I mm. think, and so like that really uh, got to me. I also, I'm working on a television show that takes place in the 1920s. So I've been reading a lot about like anarchists su versus suffragettes and the ways like a lot of the stuff that is in this book is actually, and the, and the backlash to this book is actually like so historically repetitive in that, wow. you know, in like the 1920s, like the suffragettes were very marketable and very like white and thin and able-bodied and they wanted to be mothers and they just wanted the vote. And then the anarchist women were like, burn down the government. I don't want your fucking vote. Like go, you know, go fuck yourself. Um, and so there was like a huge divide. And, and now thinking about it today, it, it's a very similar divide where there's these, you know, capitalist feminist type people who are like, I want to make women rich versus, you know, these sort of more leftist uh, activists who are like, this will not solve anything. Um, mm. And that's like, a, that's a tale as old as time I'm figuring yep. out. And so, uh, and I Wait, also- at the start of this episode, I just want to do a quick check-in because, and maybe we'll feel differently at the end. But if you had to put yourself on one of those sides right now, would, you're, would you say you're like, make women rich or no. are, you, are you leftist? I would say that I am more of the anarchist side. The show- has a hard time because I do want to give advice that could like help marginalize people out of poverty. And I do want to give advice that like actually materially benefits people's lives. But I also know that the majority of that advice is a bandaid on a bullet wound and mm -hmm. that there needs to be like huge systemic change that a lot of it actually like, like for a lot of reasons can't happen. Yeah. So I think absolutely. I've, I've become, I'm, I'm very much, in the socialist realm, but I I want to be able to make sure that people have food. <laughs> so it's like okay, okay. So here's here's what's interesting, and and I'm excited to because we're also doing um, a two parter um, mm -hmm. on your that's going to drop on your feed for this episode, and maybe my mind will be changed. But I think I lean more into 
give women money, make Mm -hmm. women rich, uh, but can I choose which ones? And really it's because of my work in late night and, you know, I was the head writer for Jon Stewart for a long time. And when we really like got deep, deep into those problems and and the last show particularly, we're like looking for solutions at the always the thing blocking the solution is someone with money. Yep. And so it, I've just come to feel like, oh my God, the best activism is like getting all the fucking money. And it can so be. Can buy out the other people. How, mm-hmm. how obviously the, the goal is to get everyone food, but like by which right. means do we get there? So I'm very excited to discuss this book with you. <laughs> because, and you know, obviously the answer will be to become a girl boss. Well, I also <laughs> was a woman in 2014, 2015, and I was work, I was so affected by the, the rise of feminist media and Jezebel and uh, Exo Jane and the hairpin and all this kind of like, it feels like that was such a a time where it was like, there was a lot of sort of everything is feminism. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Okay. Perfectly said. Okay. Let's dive into the book. So we'll give you the overview. Um, So the the book is published in 2014. It is republished with a new introduction in 2015 when they were like, "Uh uh-oh, she wrote a book called Girl Boss and she's filing for bankruptcy. Um, And then in 2016, the show Girl Boss is picked up by Netflix. I can't believe that shit. I know, at the height of this bankruptcy press. Unbelievable. And the, the show coming out sort of catapults, you know, that press and that press catapults the show. Also, I want to say I I know a ton of women who worked on Girl Boss. Absolutely. So talented, so great. And I cannot imagine what it was like taking on this show without Sophia telling you that she's about to go bankrupt. A hundred percent. Like two hundred percent. That must have been really, really tough. And yeah. So let me just read a little piece of the new intro. She said, a lot has changed since I wrote this book two years ago. We made record-breaking revenues. Nasty Gal grew so fast, it became the Tower of Babel. We went through layoffs for the first time. I turned 30, then I turned 31. We opened two brick and mortar, hashtag brick and murder stores in Los Angeles. (laughs) My hair is long. I'm an adult with braces. Don't put it in the intro. I have three poodles. Most importantly, I got married. About those layoffs, dot, dot, dot. We started to feel the hard times only after this book was originally put to print. 100 million in revenue is a lot of money, but companies much larger have gone Uh? extinct. So that's where she's sort of like, so we just like kind of fucked up, but like other companies were way worse. And she's later like, I'm no longer the CEO. And you're like, oh, you wrote a book on how to become successful and filed for bankruptcy the next day. Which like fine, it's true. A lot of a lot of men do the same thing. I yeah. I I yeah. see your point. The thing is, is that the, this book consistently has this air of I am the underdog. I am I am uh, relatable and quirky and strange and different. So when you brought up like, don't say you're an adult with braces. She like has to. She has to mm. be like I'm a loser in some way, so that you forget that she's so rich. <laughs> you know, That's it's a, a it's an point. interesting tactic. I mean, I get more, I made notes in the book and I get more and more angry about that tactic as the notes go along. Uh, but I yeah, mean, I mean, that's yeah. the tactic. And I think it's also, uh, I mean, and I'll say this up front, like Sophia took nothing, no college degree, no debt, no loans, and turned an eBay business into a multi-million dollar company in six years. That is something. It really Mm -hmm. is. Like, I cannot take away from it. And as someone pointed out to me in my DMs, like this book inspired a lot of people who were like, didn't think they could become 
business people to become business girls. Sure. Um, And so like that for sure happened. I think what makes me mad is that she's teaching, like if you fail, your company fails, it's fine. Why are you teaching a book on how to be successful and profiting off of those teachings only for all of the teachings to be wrong the next day? Yeah, I don't think they're wrong, but I, and I think the advice from someone who did it is useful. But I also, when you're talking about she turned this business into a a multi-million dollar business, at whose expense? Like often in the Mm. book, she talks about so-and-so did this for free. I got this person to do this for free. I, um, you know, yes, these other people who had been working in this sector longer than me didn't like how I was conducting myself, but I continued and and squashed them. I, you know, I think like she does not have the awareness of who she's left in her wake. And, you know, this thing of like, we worked on things, which I'm jumping ahead, but like we worked on Thanksgiving, right? And all of us did it and all of us pitched in. And- I think that she's not aware of the power differential of like, she thinks all of these employees pitched in because they wanted to pitch in, not because their boss was doing it. Or she's very, an interesting person with regards to race, but she talks often about the models being um, not white and not compensating them. And I think there's like the thing that comes up a lot, especially in our interview on Bad With Money that we do with Koa Beck about this topic is that, a lot of these white women succeed at the expense of people of color or of women mm-hmm. of color who they are not compensating or people uh, who they think, well, I've created this big business and I'm... So that's why she needs to seem relatable. Because totally. It, it, and it, she can't really... Um, she can't give the the full scope of who who helped her get there for free. Right, because she also doesn't know. I mean, I have to say... I. I do think a lot of advice in this book is wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I think it's like, and well, and to go back to the the term girl boss and what you were talking about in 2014. So girl boss was, you know, it was a positive term for a minute and it was really tied in with the same moment of time's up and me too. And like, what's what was so interesting to me is like thinking about time's up and how that was this like huge, powerful movement, you know, that, a year to, what is time, two years ago, that whole movement crumbled when they had to come out for working with Andrew Cuomo to silence his assault victims. And Time's Up was helping him not seem like he assaulted women. And it was just the ultimate ultimate, uh, white feminist move, which is to say like, and and I just want to give, I've given this definition before, but like white feminism has nothing to do with your race. It's about who your feminism benefits. So if you're doing things and saying things that only benefit white women, that's white feminism. It can come from anyone. It, it can come from your dad. I always love to remind people that. <laughs> and often the, the idea is this is for the greater good. They think, yeah. you know, we need, we need to, to make th- this complicated issue of feminism less complicated to sell it. And we need to, like, yes, we will be throwing, again, largely women of color under the bus or trans women under the bus, but we will, 
be, but it's for the greater good. And I think like, that's the thing with this book, right? It's for the greater good. So many women became entrepreneurs because of this book. So many women and people who never thought that they could have a business started to have a business. And like, that's amazing. But as you were saying, did they also learn how to exploit people? Did right, they also right. Well, lear- right. If so, they read this book, they did. They did. <laughs> I mean, I I think the I, I'm going to skip ahead and just co- and then come back. But like, I think the thing where I really lost my mind was on page 14. So early, um, <clears throat> she said, "This book is titled Hashtag Girl Boss. Does that mean it's a feminist manifesto?" Oh, God, I guess we have to talk about this. And I was like, wait, what? She says, hashtag Girlboss is a feminist book and Nasty Gal is a feminist brand in the sense that I encourage you as a girl to be who you are and do what you want. Being a girl boss, blah, 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 blah. And then later she said, are we in a new era of feminism where we don't have to talk about it? I was Mm. like, what era Mm. were you living in where you thought in 2015 or 2014 we were done we were done. And and your you took the word girl and put it next to boss. Your brand is feminism. You're profiting off of feminism while not wanting to be a feminist, which leads me to my favorite kind of feminist, the woman who wants herself to succeed and because she is a woman thinks she's now a feminist because she roots for her. <laughs> and yeah, I just exactly. I've known so many people like that. Exactly. Like, but I'm here and it's like, bitch, it's not about you. It's about everybody. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, we can get into this more and more, but sh- the book has from her a open disdain for other women. <laughs> I know. And, oh, uh, uh, some examples you have (laughs) hatred of other women that is so palpable it permeates the entire vibe of this hashtag girl boss book uh she doesn't like women um does feel like that (laughs) she uh, uh, almost only mentions hanging out with men and they are positive and the women that she hangs out with are stupid or like there is a part where she gets into a fist fight with a woman for, I think, daring to be old. It's truly unclear. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, we got to dive into that I one. I <laughs> think she she only she only she has quotes at the beginning of each chapter and she quotes almost exclusively men other than, I think, two or three times. And that is is such a thing to me that as an editor of this book, I would go, hey, (laughs) so some questions here. You know what I mean? Like there's just, uh, there's a lot of stuff that is ageist, racist, sexist, like. Oh yeah. Openly. I know. And, and I mean, uh, first off, I don't think there was a book editor. I think this book was written in three weeks. I mean, like (laughs) this was the fact, I've never seen a book written faster. The thing about the quotes. So the book, there's quotes throughout it. The first quote is from Wreck-It Ralph. And I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to read a business book with a quote from Wreck-It Ralph. That's fine. But though. she's it was a good quirky quote. and strange. Quirky and strange. But here, I and you saw me go through this spiral on Instagram, but I got to a quote that said, things may come to those who wait, but only things left by those who hustle. And it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln. No. <laughs> I was like, in what world no. did Abraham Lincoln say this? But it's like, you know, it's published in a book and you're like, surely they wouldn't publish it if Abraham Lincoln didn't say this. None of the other quotes are jokes. I then look it up. It's like 
art you can buy on Amazon of like, Abraham Lincoln said this and it's like in gold font. And then just like two more clicks and the Lincoln Foundation is like, he never said this. (laughs) Someone, I mean, it's like three articles down is like Lincoln never said this, not to mention at the year he lived in, uh, hustle meant something different. Hustle meant to like big. Which speaking of page six, here's the launching advice. While you're reading this, I have three pieces of advice that I want you to remember. Don't grow up. Don't become a bore. Don't ever let the man get to you. Okay, what are you cool. talking then about? Let's do this hashtag girl boss for life. That's my problem with the book. I don't know what a girl boss is supposed to be. Like the Atkins diet, eat steak, <laughs> eat steak and cheese. We get it. You know, whether it's good or bad, we know what Atkins is. Throughout the book, she's like, and that's girl bossing. And then other girl bosses give testimonies and they're like, I'm a girl boss. And I'm just like, what? The fuck is girl bossing? And I ended it and I was like, I have no idea. I think I it's just know. like exploiting being other a gal people and having success. <sighs> it's well, it's her first quote, which is don't be lazy or something. Which fine. Yeah. So let's launch, let's launch into that. So she is basically she grows up in a family that is like uh actually I don't know what income level they were, but she was always working. And she had a bunch of different jobs and she was always getting fired or quitting them. But like she was a blue collar worker who was supposed to go to college. Do we know this is true? Well, I think we do have to go on the basic premise that it is true. Unless what is your reason for thinking she didn't work at Subway? Because she talks a lot about it. I think. And I, I think there's a picture in here. Sure. I think that she mentions it a lot. And also I think, okay, here's the thing. People that are successful and rich, did yes. think did some a lot of times they'll say I did this thing and they'll make it seem like they did something for a long time. And what they actually did was do it for like two weeks. But then they yeah. talk all the time being like, well, I drove Uber until I was successful. But it's like then you like dig a little deeper and you're like, you drove Uber like three times. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I think yeah. I think they that and the more they bring it up, the more she's like, I worked at Subway, I worked at Subway. I'm like, for how long? Yeah, well, I think I I, I totally hear that. And I think the thing that got me about it is that she brings up Subway and like working shitty jobs so much that it really started to feel Republican to me, which like you'll notice when elections start coming up about minimum wage and things like that. A lot of the Republican response will be like, I remember when I was flipping burgers and like, uh, you know. And how long were they flipping burgers for? Yeah, for high school. And exactly because they put in this hard work at a minimum wage job and they then got out of it and became successful, that that option is available to everyone. And that if you are stuck working fast food um, and let your, you know, your middle age, you've been there for years, that is your own laziness. And that's Mm -hmm. the way they keep capitalism alive because they're taking out the fact that not everyone has the same opportunities. And she starts as a socialist in this book. It's part of her story, which is that- I know. She's like a freegan. She goes dumpster diving. She gets- Okay, now hear me out again. I don't yeah. mean to I don't mean to interrupt. She talks about dumpster diving. And she says multiple times dumpster diving for bagels. She says bagels almost exclusively in terms of yeah. dumpster diving. She has one photo of her eating a bagel which she says she dumpster dove for. If you were dumpster diving all the time, wouldn't you mention other foods you had found? I think she dumpster dove once and I'm going to give it that she went over to a garbage can and a bagel was sitting on the top of the garbage can. I don't buy it. Gabby, a 
Okay, here's the thing. I think they found a dumpster where they threw out bagels in a plastic bag every night, which is what Starbucks does because they're not allowed to give I know. food away because it's, again, health, because it's against health service. So right. if you go to a dumpster by a Starbucks, there's always tons of perfectly intact, beautiful food. I think she was like, we found the bagel dumpster, man. And this is my stance, my heart stance. If you went dumpster diving three times, I'll give it. I'll give it to you. You okay, can say fine. you were. Oh, fine. You know what I mean? But it's like it, presented as quirky. Like if you're if you're a white girl and you're dumpster diving, quirky. If you're a homeless yeah. person and you're dumpster diving, call the police. Like yes. fuck yes. you, dude. And that's also in the book, she will make jokes about homeless people. But yep. then talk about how she was. So that's the part. So it's like, I don't doubt that, you know, she went dumpster diving. But what I do find fucking gross is that she's like, literally talking about like, I'm a socialist, fuck the man. I don't want to live in a capitalist society and then stumbles in to some personal success and becomes the poster child for capitalism. Uh-huh. That's not even my opinion. That's no, in she her calls own it, words. She in calls the herself that. And she, because it benefits her and her alone, becomes a capitalist and then starts this diatribe in the book about how if you haven't made it, it's because you're lazy. But she's already told us all these stories about getting fired and quitting jobs all the time. Yeah. Which also goes to show that she didn't really need them. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the bad behavior. Yeah. And I did find um, a recent interview where she said, I did have very boomer ethics about the way I ran my business. I sort of thought if you're yes. working as hard as me, then why are, why am I hiring you? And she just, totally becomes a Republican in this book, but like uses her socialist origin story as a way to like shit on socialism. Yeah, or to just say like, I mean, the whole thing is she starts Nasty Gal because she has a hernia and she needs to get it. um, She needs health insurance. So she gets a job where she's sitting behind a desk. And then while she's sitting behind that desk, she starts an eBay page. Yeah. So then wouldn't the next step be we should really have socialized medicine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. 
Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. It's also hard too, because I was so aghast. Like in the book, she really, and I know TV is different, but in the book, she really... Her, relies on her mom a lot. Her mom helps her. Her mom does a lot of things for her. Um, and then in the TV show, the mom is written out and it's like her mom left at a young age and she was on her own. So in the TV show, they portray her as having done all of this without a parent. And in the book, the mom is present and helps with almost everything. But I mean, here's the thing. If I was, if it's like, okay, Chelsea, you're running the girl boss show, I'd be like, <laughs> we got to get these fucking parents out of here. This makes that's, no sense. And that's the problem. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I get why they fictionalized uh, anything they fictionalized. But yeah, in the book, this is the thing that bothers me. If she, it feels like she doesn't know how she did it. And I'm not saying she doesn't know, but in the book, it reads like she truly has no idea how she got there and cannot pass it on to you, but is selling it in a book anyway. And what she's selling is just sort of the spirit of like, don't grow up or, and be boring. And you're like, yikes, I, that's really not going to work for a lot of people. And then, okay, here's an incident I want to discuss. So yeah, what page? She It's page 107. And to just catch people up. So she has basically worked a bunch of minimum wage jobs, has a hernia, gets that job for healthcare, quits the job the moment she gets health insurance, gets care for her hernia, but had spent all this time on eBay. And then she becomes an eBay whiz. Mm -hmm. And she works eBay so hard as she's basically starting this vintage thrift store line that she starts to make tons and tons of money and become really successful on the site. And mm -hmm. then she creates this company. And at one point they get into a warehouse and then this incident happens. She said, I... She was in Hawaii when someone who Oh my God, I'm open her, to that page. I'm open to that page because it's the most psychotic thing I've ever read. I was about to bring that up to you. Okay, please, yeah. please, please continue. Yeah. Okay, so she, in 2011, she took her first vacation since starting the company and went to Hawaii by herself. At the time, they were moving um, from Emeryville to Los Angeles and making this huge move for the company. She was spending 11 days in paradise. She found out someone had ordered brand new Herman Miller Aeron chairs. I don't even know how to say it. I, I think I know what she's talking about, but they're they're Aeron chairs. Okay, yeah. so these chairs cost a thousand dollars or more. She said, I happen to have a Herman Miller Aaron chair in my office. To me, it was a rite of passage, but I'd bought my chair with my money, not nasty gals. But okay. Okay. And where I got it, you guessed it, on Craigslist. There was no way I was going to have interns rolling around on these things. It sent the wrong message to the company to preach frugality while balling out on 12 grand worth of chairs. You can't act like you've arrived when you've only just received the invitation. She said, you couldn't return the chairs, but once we were settled, our poor office manager, Francis, spent six months selling the office chairs on Craigslist. Absolutely bonkers. That is what we're talking about. The exploitation and bad boss behavior that is that is why she's profiting. Did 
Francis yeah. get to keep any of the money from the... Just like, that to me, I wrote holy shit next to that. That yeah. is unconscious. Okay. W- wouldn't you be like, wow, you know what? This is my gift to you guys. Like, you, I, you know, mine is used. I had to struggle, as you can see. But you don't have to because I've made the world a better place for you. No, it's go fuck yourself. Yeah, I mean, you're. I'm trying to think. Okay, I, I'm gonna pretend I have a company, right? I go on vacation. I come back. They spent twelve grand of the budget on office chairs. I would totally be like, "This is a gift for you guys. Enjoy them." And to the manager, I'd be like, "Hey, could you like put the money into things that maybe matter more? Especially if I had one of those chairs. Yeah. absolutely a gift." Ugh, I can't like. There's so many things, right? Every. I mean, I noticed every book she cites as being inspirational is by a man. Every like. The the people that have done the best are men, you know, her investor, all these things like it's this feminism that's like if you act like a man, then you're yes. a good boss. Yes, then you're. Yeah, absolutely. It's like it's funny, too, because I and even in the introduction of this podcast, I say that we read female memoirs. And the truth is that we don't always read female memoirs, but I don't want to even open it up. Yeah. <laughs> to men. Agreed. You know what I mean? Because like it they just take up so much space um, in our culture. And it's like, I just, they just take up so much space. And she also is like- Now I shall do the same thing. Now I shall do the same, but under the banner girl boss. Okay, so then we got into a story that reminded me of someone I went to college with where she said, this is the advice. If you're frustrated, you're not actually getting what you want. Stop for a second. Have you actually flat out asked for it? If you haven't, stop complaining. You can't expect the world to read your mind. You have to put it out there. And sometimes putting it out there is as simple as just saying, hey, can I have that? And she's kind of talking about how when she would go to a thrift store and see a button missing, she would go up to the Salvation Army woman and be like, I'd like 50 cents off. And I think I'm I personally, I I don't even know if I can be objective about this because it's so antithetical to my personality. Like I can't even haggle in venues where it's understood you're supposed to. Do you know what I mean? Like I'll be the person that's like, I'll just give it to you. And they're like, no, honey, honey, it's you're you're supposed to go 50 under. It's why it's overpriced. I'm like, no, I'll I'll just do it. (laughs) So, um, but there was this girl in college who was like, I love to ask for things I'm not supposed to have. Mm -hmm. And she would get it all. She'd Mm -hmm. be like, I want more time to take the test. I want your watch. I Can I have this ride for free? And she would get all kinds of things and I would watch and be like, that's cool, but also I can't and also I hate it. And it's just like a lesson that like narcissists and assholes like are really successful. It, it really I'm does make able, you successful. I'm having a brain thing where like I'm able to do that. Like I'm I'm good at that and I understand that, it, okay, so you're, if you're supposed to haggle, they can't be mad at you for haggling. Like I'm very pragmatic in that way. Yeah. I also ended up I also ended up not being a woman. <laughs> so <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well spoiler alert, twist. Twist. I will say my mother-in-law, she she she's a woman. She can haggle you down yeah. to the bones. You know what I mean? I, I do respect it, but there's something different now, about what Sophia's talking about, which is asking for things you're not supposed to have. And just as a way of life. Again, at the expense of who? The person yeah. working at Salvation Army, the person yeah. working at Goodwill, the person working at these places, like, and who are who are those people? People in yeah. lesser economic situations than you are, probably largely. People who, I know that a lot of, my sister uh, had a DUI and her community service was to work at a thrift store. So I know probably a lot of those people are 
addicts there by, not by choice there, you know, like there is sort of like this element of like, you do have a power position over them in, in that you are a customer and that's never acknowledged. Totally. And I I will say this too, though, because, and it's later in the book, she, her asking for stuff knows no bounds. She is later going to go to get investment capital. And (laughs) so I, I just have to read it. So she says, page 190, she said, um, this guy Danny calls her and he's going to be the investor in Nasty Gal. She said, at this point in time, we still didn't have a head of finance. So we couldn't answer half of the questions other firms were asking us. Danny recognized this. He didn't ask us to go through due diligence, okay? A term for digging through companies' receipts and financials, realizing that I'd never used PowerPoints Danny had an associate from his team put together an investment deck for me to present to his own partnership. Ah! Whoa. (laughs) I was like, this is when I lost my fucking mind because in what world? I mean, like, you'd get kicked off of Shark Tank for not knowing your financials. Like, there's a stretchy salesman who's not getting a deal because she didn't know what their business brought And they're incredibly mean on Shark Tank. And I love Shark Tank, but I will say I have noticed that on Shark Tank, they give a much harder time to Black women entrepreneurs. And they constantly pass over Black female businesses that are such great ideas. Absolutely. And they'll always, uh, yeah, yes, absolutely. So there's no world in which this would happen to anyone else. No, but also I'm like, this is your advice. You didn't know your own financials and at the and you're writing this, like, look at me, and like you're gonna file for bankruptcy next year. Or yeah. like I've never even used a PowerPoint. And like what crushes me is that like I'm, you know, I'm a TV writer, I'm a filmmaker. I have had to learn every PowerPoint software Absolutely. until it finally fucking became Canva. Absolutely. <laughs> I make PowerPoints. I my PowerPoints are on point. Oh God. Uh, I did at one point write down, maybe I am a hater because yeah, yeah. I, there is something to, you don't get, if you don't ask, there is yeah. something to believing in yourself. There is something yeah. to like, I think for anyone to succeed. And this is something in entertainment for me too, is like a little bit of delusion, right? There's nothing worse to me than not attributing who helped you. The thing that really bothers me about the advice about the PowerPoint and the financials is that she previously has been like, um, if you don't work hard, like it's on you. Lazy people don't succeed. Hustle know your financials is what then. it's all about. Right. And then here she's basically giving like really the one, oh, like I, I'm not a CEO. I just love Shark Tank. So I do know that you have to have these things. And if I know them, surely you person who's been running multi-million dollar right. company for years also knows them. And she's chosen not to do them because she doesn't have to, but then is preaching that you need to hustle and work hard. And so it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, I just wish I knew what girl bossing was. Like if girl bossing was like, the rules weren't made for us, burn it all down Walk and do it in. your way. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, that's one thing. But she's also then like, play by the rules and be a capitalist. And if you don't know your financials, like if you don't know your PL, profit and loss, like how are you paying people? Like, how are you paying people fairly? How do you know what the salaries of different um, jobs should be? If you don't research, like, what are other companies fairly compensating workers for this exact same job? What are you giving them? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's really tough. And I mean, so, okay, to get into some more book stuff, I will say there's some good things in this book uh, that you can debate me on, Gabby. But I think 
she writes about how um, you should make your computer passwords, you know, yep, yes, yep, affirmations yep, and yep. manifestations. And I do that. You got to change up the numbers. But like, well, I've totally written down goals of mine as passwords. Of course. What do, think, what do we think of that advice? I thought I said it was stupid. And then my partner, who's like a, 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 <laughs> a, 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 a former Brooklyn, like, you know, musician, hipster, whatever. I don't know if they'd say hipster, but like uh, they were like, that's actually kind of nice. Yeah. And I was like, okay. fine, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. No, I do it. I fine. like it. I mean, you, you type in this sort of, you know, prayer you have every day, but as a computer password, and then you have to change it because they give you an alert that you, it's, this password is not strong enough. I've okay. never heard of this before in my life. I never heard of this before this book at all. But I thought I had made it up, but apparently I've been girl bossing for years. Wow. <laughs> I just had it in me. <laughs> um, okay. First off, the title of her company, Nasty Gal, comes from... A black woman. Yes. Um, uh, Betty, yeah, Davis. Betty Davis. She's known as Miles Davis' wife, but she's like this huge, incredible black rock star who never mm -hmm. got the amount of fame and success she deserved. She takes Nasty Gal from one of her songs, which is really, really wild. Chef's Kiss. The, uh, yeah. And I don't, I don't even remember her getting anyone calling that out, but whatever. Now we flash forward to a story where it's Halloween. Girl. She says, yeah. She says she is dressed as a black exploitation character. So, uh, you know, which is like has a specific look from 70s movies and that she is wearing an afro. an afro in the book. She says, I know it's not PC now, but it's what I was doing to which I said, OK, so, you know, it's wrong. But like, <laughs> no way. Also, but like, OK, this is the thing It's like admit to one thing and then don't admit to the other. Admit that yeah. you that you did this one thing, this. Oh, I wore an afro, but then don't admit that you are about to be incredibly horrible to someone. Well, okay, here's the incident I want to get into you with. So the reason why she keeps this uh, racist costume she was in, in this, into the story, because she is so jealous of her boyfriend's ex-girlfriend that when she sees the ex-girlfriend at the club um, and the ex-girlfriend is rude to her, Sophia makes some comment about like, aren't you too old to be here anyway? Because the girl was like six years older than her or something. And then they get into a fist fight. She says it's her only fist fight ever where the girl rips off her afro, which I think is probably like was a funny detail she thought when she was telling it to her shitty friends. And so then she was like, I got to put that in the book. Mm -hmm. um, and they like have this fight. So here's the thing. <laughs> shitty costume aside. Do you relate at all to the idea of being like jealous of a partner's ex and them being rude to you and you being rude to them back? I, well, I'm non-monogamous, but also like, I don't love, I, I don't like exes if they've hurt someone. Like if I, like, I mm -hmm. don't like my partner's exes if it's like, because my partner and I were friends before we were together. So I have seen people treat them poorly. So I don't like that person. Mm -hmm. But yeah. This person's crime seems to be having hooked up with her boyfriend and also being older. Like, even down <laughs> to her insult is like, aren't you too old to be here? Like, yeah, you yeah. hate other women. You hate them. You yeah, hate them. Here, but he, Okay, so here's, here's where I'll come in and say, this is just some specifically hetero girl bullshit, and I can't pretend I'm not at fault. At sure. <laughs> because I've never been healthy with my, first off, I've picked a lot of terrible people who become exes. So it's hard to be friends with your ex if maybe you were choosing bad people. Right. But I've never been good with my own exes. And um, 
And and when, and I have been like cheated on in younger days, which mm-hmm. has formed my sort of feeling. So I've always struggled being like, I very aggressively am a political feminist. I love women. Women are my friends. And I'll get like that itch of like, mm-hmm. who's that ex? You know what I mean? Which I'm like, is so- Of course. Shitty. Yeah, I have that too. So when she did this, I was like, yeah, you were an insecure- jealous woman and you use the old thing because you do hate women and that was your but best she doesn't fault. come to that conclusion she doesn't no. then say what you're saying which is self-aware and thoughtful she then she doesn't come to that conclusion it's just a quirky story yeah yeah you're right you're right and she is like it's like on the bachelor when they're like are you a little old to be here and she's like i'm 28 and yeah I'm never this gonna is find not love. And yeah <laughs> yeah also she, like yeah. Again, not to beat this drum, did it happen? Ooh, oh, I think it did. I mean, why else would you fucking admit to that Halloween costume? What would be the point? Because later on, I write down sociopath. Well, yeah. (laughs) There's no, what do you mean why? Because it's a quirky story that she thinks is quirky. Did it happen? Go tell, what bar was it at? What year was it? Find me the (laughs) ex-girlfriend. I want to interview her. Tell me who's the boyfriend. I want him to verify the story. I don't think this happened. And if it did happen, Why? because I don't buy it. I think it's Listen, another story to make her look different than other girls. I'm not well, like yes, other I girls. Agree. Why I do believe these stories is because if I don't, it truly is like the most <laughs> evil person who's ever lived. Like, because the, the business stuff in the book is really shitty. So if the personal stuff is also just completely made up, like then she's got to be in jail. And I just can't get there. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just can't. Verify. Yeah. Find me. I, I Girl, I Googled. I was like, f- real ex-boyfriend. Find me oh, his you're name. asking me to become Real a ex- girl detective? All girl. right. <laughs> like, find me. Who are these people? And did yeah. they verify this story? I wrote a <laughs> memoir. Let me tell you something. I wrote Bad With Money book is a bit of a financial memoir. I love and, it. And I went through my old journals. I, yep. I went through, like, everything is, like, you can pretty much verify it. Yeah. And and I, I, I don't buy it. Yeah, it's... It's funny because... But let me tell you, no one fact-checked it. I hired a fact-checker on my own time. The the publisher didn't care. So That's what I read about the Hustler quote. A couple of um, people who work in the publishing industry wrote in to say you have to hire your own fact-checker. And sometimes, even if you do, it's still up to the author to be like, nah, I don't care. I want it in there anyway. 100%. Uh, Like, like, There's no, like, book police that's like, Abraham Lincoln didn't say that. No, there isn't. You would think there would be, but no. Well, also, okay. Sorry, I'm still going to harp on this this, uh, dress thing. Don't you dare think that my shredded t-shirt makes me a sheep in wolf's clothing. I, like every girl boss, am a wolf in wolf's clothing. And then I just wrote, how the fuck are you supposed to dress? <laughs> okay, I loved I'm a wolf in wolf's clothing. I thought that was, I thought that should have been her tagline for a brand. That is, I enjoyed that. She's not a bad writer or whatever. I don't know. Oh, I'm not going to say that. I'm just she- saying that little phrase was <laughs> good in a sea of no sense. I liked this one part, I will say, where she talks about businesses, people want to invest in businesses that don't need money. Like I wrote down, okay, advice. A desperate business is not a good look. Yeah, I wrote down like, okay. But then she goes on to ruin it by being like, you know, the concept of good people should apply to every part of your life. Surround yourself with people who are engaged, honest, confident enough in their own quest to support you on yours. Love that. Then she says, there's no time for losers. It's always like almost (laughs) there and then it's fucking psycho. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. And that's kind of how she's, again, she's not even really handing you the keys to how to do it. She, 
She later writes, now, she is famously known as a millennial who had her own company very young. This is a paragraph in the book. Mm-hmm. You are not a special snowflake. Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, how did you become a Republican so fast? Like, how much money till you're just, like, automatically— <laughs> you, you, Yeah, you, that's you what happened. You go from friggin' dumpster socialist to— She said, millennials got so many participation trophies growing up that a recent Stop study it. showed Stop that 40% it. believe they should be promoted every two years, regardless of performance. No, that's not what we no, think. One, it's not what we think. Two, it's not true. Three, it's literally what you did in the book. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Walk yeah. in. Don't know anything about your company. Ask for shit you don't deserve. And then, but then don't come to me and ask for shit you don't deserve. Ma'am. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now we're towards the run out of the book. Then she has the CEO of Man Repeller do. Incredible. Uh, what a time like, capsule. Truly. And if you don't know anything about that story, we this don't is have- someone who also had a fashion company yeah. who... Um, had to step down for being a problematic girl boss and all yep, of yep, the yep, women yep, of color yep. in her company spoke out against her. And so, just so ridiculous, red herring. Man Repellers, uh, Leandra's little paragraph ends with, get excited about the mistakes you'll make. And like four years from the writing of this, she's like not even online anymore sometimes because it's like too many mistakes. Um <laughs> then another girl boss gives her writing and she says she's never been an assistant. She just worked all her connections. And I said, oh, that's what a girl boss is. Someone who never had to be an assistant and had connections. Um, mm-hmm. That's a girl boss. Mm-hmm. Like, And then just, I mean, thankfully, Sophia seems to know it. She then talks about how... Um, ironic's not the word, but how weird it is that she has a tattoo that says 1%. 1%. And she got it because it applied to this motorcycle gang where the 1% was about being an anarchist and now is literally <laughs> the financial 1%. Yep. And I yep. just wrote, I wrote, stand for nothing but yourself. Absolutely. Um, okay, so now we're literally at the very end of the book where I was just sort of like, I just really don't even know what it, it was meant she doesn't own nasty gal anymore Mm -hmm. Uh, the company boohoo bought it um and sophia pivoted to run a company called girl boss which is an empowerment business class company where she teaches business Mm -hmm. which leads me to a piece of advice i've yelled about on this podcast which is like be careful who you're learning from and make sure you want their life and there's a certain subsect of teachers who um, are teaching you their own failures. Because Sophia didn't go on to start another company. Nope. She started Girl Boss. She started teaching classes. Right. On how to be a businesswoman, which she previously failed at. Right. Which is tough, too, because then who are you supposed to learn to be a lady business person from? I don't know. I don't know what (laughs) what your other options are, but I just don't think it should be this. Yeah. We'll get into on my show my thoughts on Boohoo. But okay. Yeah, well, there's a lot to boohoo. Okay, so let me read the last paragraph of the book. Please. Bad bitches are taking over the world. When I walk into the nasty gal offices, it's clear. Busting your butt isn't just for the wallflowers anymore. We've arrived and we're killing it. There's a chance for you, hashtag girl boss. So take it. Here's the other thing. At the end, it says, so you're a girl boss, but are you a nasty gal? Visit nastygal.com. And that's when I realized that this book was just marketing for Nasty Gal. Of course. Oh, of course. Also, <laughs> And that's when I the- realized the whole book could just have said, visit 
funny how many people write books where it's like, just make some Instagram posts. What are exactly. we doing out here? Um, okay, so we end every podcast um, with something I call the book dull test. It has three questions. One, did the author share her truth? I say no. Yeah. I say, uh, I don't know if she even, I don't know if it was on purpose or not on purpose. <laughs> I am going to say that she worked at Subway. Okay. <laughs> Question two, was reading the book entertaining? In the sense that I was screaming and I would read parts to my partner every so often and that I was like actively spiraling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say it's short. It's clippy. It gets to the point. It was written in two days. They didn't have a lot of <laughs> words. It was very entertaining. Um, okay, question number three. Did reading this book elevate your life in some way? You know, it led to me talking to you, Chelsea. And that's <laughs> really, I think, the biggest win of all. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say, I shockingly, I'm going to say it did elevate my life because... You know, when you're like directing a film, running a TV show, you are mm -hmm. the little lady CEO. That's and true. I am super into film shit. And reading this is like a nice touchstone with like who I don't want to be mm. and what I don't want to do. But the real lesson was just to like remember not to be an asshole and like yeah. remember where you come from. Um, so I guess so, I was kind of yeah. elevated by that. Okay, I'll buy it. I tried. And I'll put it on eBay. <laughs> Start that business. Um, first off, we're about to do a second part episode mm -hmm. on Gabby's podcast, which is um, going to be totally different and all Gabby's format and tell them that podcast and where they can find it. Yes. My podcast is called Bad With Money. I do the opposite of Sophia, where I start out being like, money's not that bad. And I end up being like, I think we have to burn down Bank of America. <laughs> so enjoy <laughs> that, that trajectory. <laughs> and Gabby, where can people find you on social media? Sure. I'm at Gabby Road on Instagram. And then I have a, a follow-up to the Bad With Money book coming out, or maybe is already out, called A Stimulus Wreck. That takes oh into gosh. account the last three years. And that's you can get that for free for 60 days on Scribd. So go do that. Because you are a person of the people. <laughs> So, I'm a girl boss. You're a girl boss. We're all girl bosses. That's the lesson here. Uh -huh. um, thank you so much for coming on. I super oh, appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, so that's all for this week's episode. That was really fun to discuss, but I'm looking forward to returning to our normal type of memoir next week. And y'all, uh, big shout out to our producer, Kate Downey, and our episode engineer, DJ Bouncy House. They keep this podcast running. Patreon keeps the lights on. And we will see you next week for another juicy ass memoir. You're my lucky number. You're my lucky number.